Over the past six weeks, we've been exploring the New Testament's vision for the church. How the church is like a, a tossed salad, diverse in its ingredients, but brought to unity through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to the body of Christ. Jesus died for all people, and so we, as the church, are called to see everyone through the lens of Jesus Christ. This, this really, frankly, has not been something we've done perfectly because we're a group of human beings that were created in God's image, but we've been corrupted by sin. And so, to be frank, folks, often we just don't get this right. Sometimes we, we judge others in a way that scripture would speak against, and sometimes we get our meetings wrong and we make them about ourselves instead of about Jesus. You see, the New Testament that is presented, the, the way the New Testament presents the church to us is that it is actually a messy church, that it's dysfunctional at times, but yet it's beautiful and unique with the potential actually to change the world. This week, I want to take a look at what the Apostle Paul teaches us about the church's call in Scripture to be holy. That's right. The church in the New Testament is a group, uh, uh, is a group of saints. That's the way the New Testament puts it. Or holy people who have been set apart. And Scripture calls this holiness. That we're, we're called both individually and corporately to a life of holiness. You hear this word often in scripture and it's often expressed in the songs that we sing. We'll, we'll sing things like, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. But what does scripture really actually mean by holy? And what is this call to holiness that we as Christians, we as the Christian church are called to? These are super important questions to ponder if we're ever going to grasp the New Testament's vision for the church. So let's start to dig into this by opening our Bibles. You ready for this? In the book of Leviticus. We're going to open our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 11, and we're going to read chapter in chapter 11, verses 44 to 45, because the Bible gives us the big idea about holiness in this expression in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourself unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Have you ever read this and just thought, like, what does that mean? In Levitical law, what, where does this fit? How does the church fit into this? I am holy and because I'm holy, you should be holy. Well, let me help you a little bit. This passage gives us a picture of two major elements of holiness in the Bible. One is that God is holy. And two, therefore, because God is holy, God's people are to be holy. God's people meaning the church. And the, the basic concept in scripture 
really seems so simple. God is holy, so his people are to be holy as well. Really, essentially, our holiness is grounded in God's prior holiness. The Apostle Peter actually says something very similar to Leviticus. In Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, he says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I'm holy. He's quoting Leviticus there. Be holy because I'm holy. Because God is holy, we are to be holy. But what does holy look like? How does this concept work in the real life of the church? The word holiness is often seen as the sort of thou shalt nots of the Bible. Like, like many think that in, in order to be holy or to achieve holiness, that you should follow all of the don'ts in scripture, that the apostle Paul specifically gives us all this list of don'ts. And then if we don't do this and we don't do this and we don't do this, if we remove those things that are sin in our lives, then we're working our way toward holiness. You see, many think that in order to be holy or to achieve holiness, you should follow all these don'ts in scripture. And we directly link holiness with ethics. So in order to have good Christ-like ethics, we should follow all of Paul's lists of don'ts. Frankly, to be honest, the best way to ruin your understanding of holiness in scripture is to turn it into a list of don'ts without first having a list of do's. Now, we're going to get into that a little later in the sermon. But often in the church, when it comes to holiness, we point out verses in Leviticus and we use them to describe what we shouldn't be doing. And we say, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. Like, it's not holy to have a tattoo because in Leviticus, it says, thou shalt not get a tattoo. See, the Bible says this. And so we need to live that in order to be holy. But this understanding of holiness is nothing like how the Apostle Paul would see it or how the Apostle Paul preached holiness. You see, Paul would describe holiness as the air that he breathes through the grace that he has received. I'm going to say that again. Paul would describe holiness as the air he breathes through the grace he has received. Ethics to Paul are part of the picture of holiness, but what drives your ethic would be more of Paul's concern. You see, many in the Christian church define holiness as being separate or being set apart, which has caused the Christian church to do some really strange things. In order to be holy, we've created our, our own subculture, our own music, our own schools, our own separate way of living within the world. And at the root of the word holy, it does actually mean set apart, but set apart doesn't mean separated. You can't make that connection. But because of the world around us and the call in scripture to flee from sin, we, in order to be holy, have translated that into being separated instead of set 
apart. And this is rooted in the understanding that holiness, at least I think it's rooted in the understanding that holiness is no is, is to sin no longer the way we used to. And I'm not sure that this way of looking at holiness is actually what the Bible means. And I'm pretty sure that Paul would agree with me on this. So let me give you an example of how this concept of seeing holiness is no longer sinning the way you used to. Let me give you an example of how this concept can't work. You see, often we build our practical way of achieving holiness through trying to live up to Paul's lists. And so let's just take a moment and let's look at one of Paul's lists. Let's look at uh, Paul's list in Galatians chapter 5. But before we do that, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We'll start at verse 19. But before we do that, let me ask you a question. So use this question to help you with the context here. Remember the church is to be holy. So if we define holiness as ethics alone, as not sinning, what happens to your church if everyone who does these things that are in Paul's list are kicked out of the church because they're not considered holy. Now, I know that we wouldn't necessarily function that way practically, but I just, for for sake of understanding what's actually happening in this passage, I need you to think through that. If we were not living the list, what would happen to our church if we kicked everybody out that was not living, that was living the way that this list portrays? Galatians chapter five says this, you get what I mean. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So here's here's a list. Paul's going to tell us what the acts of the flesh, these obvious acts of the flesh are. They're sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Remember we talked about idolatry last week and how subtle it can be in our lives. Hatred, discourse, jealousy. Have you ever hated somebody or been jealous of somebody or had some type of disagreement? or a fit of rage, or selfish ambition? Have you ever done anything out of selfish ambition? Dissensions, factions, and envy? Have you ever envied your neighbor? Drunkenness, orgies, and the like? Paul says, I warn you as I did before. Now listen to what he says. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if we were to kick everyone out of the church because they were guilty of one of those things on the list, our church would probably be empty. So what is Paul doing here? What is Paul doing here if holiness isn't directly attached to his lists, so to speak? Let me, let me break this down for you. He orders his list into sins of desire. Sins of worship, sins against one another, and sins of extreme desire. And he says that anyone who lives this way will never inherit the kingdom of God. And so what we do is we automatically associate this list with holiness. And so holiness is not doing these things. Then when we do them, We pull out the word grace, the grace card, and we say, well, I'm not perfect, so I'm striving to be who God has called me to be. 
I'm not perfect, but Jesus is working in me. He's working on me. Well, again, frankly, this is messed up. You see, it doesn't work theologically with how Scripture defines holiness. And so we struggle with working with these lists and not living these things. And then we pull the grace card out and we try to reconcile it all with that. And you see the complexities of this. It just doesn't work. It's messed up. It doesn't work theologically or even philosophically. So I want to take a moment to just think theologically about the concept of holiness. Scripture says God is holy. Now, you need to understand, God doesn't have holiness the way that we have an iPhone. It's not something that he just, he purchases or possesses. No, God is in his being holy. Theologian, (coughs) excuse me, Scott McKnight asked this question. If God is holy, and if God is prior to all creation... And if some say holiness means being different from or separated from something or someone else, when God was, just work with me here, all alone. Now, I know the Trinity. I understand those concepts. So just work with me here. So when God's all alone, when humanity hasn't been created yet, when creation hasn't happened, we believe that God still existed. So when God was all alone, Scott McKnight says, and there was nothing else, Was God holy then? Now, McKnight goes on to say this. He says, yes, in fact, God was and is and will always be holy. Now, that's good theology. And this leads us to an important point, McKnight said. He says, holiness cannot be reduced to separation or being different. Holiness, at a deeper level, according to Scripture, actually means devoted. So, in the do's and don'ts approach to holiness that we often take in the Christian church, one should actually focus on the do's and then the don'ts will go away. Let me help you a little bit with with what I'm saying. Holiness at a deeper level, focuses on living a life that is fully devoted unto God. Holiness, then, is the church being devoted entirely to God. A church that does everything with that motive. A church with Christ at the center of everything that they do. For the church to be holy is the church people living a life that is totally devoted to God, just as God is devoted to us through the death and resurrection of his Son. So for the church to be holy, the church is being called to live a life that is totally devoted to God. That means everything that the church does is in devotion to God with Jesus Christ at the center because this is only possible through the death and resurrection of his Son. Now, there are three elements to holiness that the Apostle Paul actually teaches us. The first is this, that we don't make ourselves holy. Holiness is the inner work of God. Now, I don't know about you, but this is great news. This is great news that I myself don't make myself holy, that holiness is actually God working inside of me. 
It's great news because it means that we don't have to work at making ourselves holy. Instead, what we're called to do is open ourselves up through genuine devotion to God and his spirit that is living in those who are saved begins to produce holiness. Now, the Apostle Paul, he he actually cements this in stone theologically. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he says, May God himself, so he, he, he's saying something here, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. So may God himself, not may the things you're doing or the hard work you're putting in. No, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see Paul's link of may God himself? It's God who does this work in you. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says this, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. You see, it's the sanctifying work of the Spirit that leads us on the path of holiness and righteousness. We don't make ourselves holy. Holiness is the inner work of God. Holiness, the legal standing of being holy, is done through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because God is holy. And so from Paul's earliest letters to some of his latest letters, the theme remains the same. Holiness is the work of God in us. So if we want our church to become holy, we need to learn to spend time in God's presence, basking in the light of his holiness. It's a very relational thing. If you want to begin to live a life of holiness, you need to get to know the one who is holy. This really, folks, isn't rocket science. If you want to be holy, you need to get to know the one who is holy, which is Jesus Christ. You need to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus in order to be holy. God's presence and learning to live in that presence is the key to a life of holiness. And the second element that Paul teaches about holiness is that we all need to learn to live a life that avoids sin. Now, this is the big one. This is the one that we really tend to focus on, that that once we're saved, we now need to work toward a life that's without sin, and we think that it's impossible, and it's not achievable, and we often try to do it on our own. Now, here is where the list of do's and don'ts come in. Now, I actually don't think that scripture would look down on that, this concept of do's and don'ts. There's lists of do's and don'ts within scripture all over the place, and I think that those lists are there for a reason. The challenge is is that many of us love to quote these lists, and I believe that Paul has placed them in his letters for a specific reason, but I hope this morning to be able to help you learn to interact with these lists in a much more successful way that causes you to be able to live within them 
instead of get frustrated with them. One of the best teachings in scripture on holiness actually comes from the book of Ephesians in both chapter 4 and chapter 5. And so I want to take a few moments to use Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 to walk you through how to work your life around the do's and the don'ts of the Bible, but more specifically about how to focus on the do's so that the don'ts are actually a non-issue in your life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 24, and I'm going to point out the negative, and then I'm going to point out the positive. So whenever Paul is pointing you toward the do, uh, we'll call that a positive, and whenever he's pointing you toward the don't, we'll call that a negative. And so right off the bat, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, Put on the new self. This is Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 24. Put on the new self. So he's starting with a positive. This is something you should do. So you have your old self. Now you need to abandon old self and put on your new self. It's a do. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's that call to living a righteous, holy life. In order to do that, you need to do something. Put on your new self. Live saved. And then he says, therefore, each of you, now we head into a negative, must put off falsehoods and, now he jumps into a positive, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Okay, and now he goes on and he moves into a negative and he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So there's a don't. Don't steal. Now he gives us a positive. So here's the do. Focus on the do. But must work. So anyone who's stealing, stop stealing. Don't do that. What you should do is work. You see how the positive stops you from doing the negative. Because if you're working, you don't need to steal. He says, do something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now here's another don't. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now you'll see Paul moves to the do. He says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So if you want to get rid of negative talk, rather than focusing on, oh my goodness, I need to get rid of this negative talk. Lord, take this negative talk away from me. Focus on the do. Only speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, then the don't won't be an issue in your life. Now Paul goes on with another do. He says, do this, be kind and compassionate to one another, because that will counteract being mean and horrible to someone. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Another do, forgive each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You see, if you're forgiving, you'll never be bitter. You'll never be angry because you will have forgiven the person. Now he moves into a don't, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are all out of place. But now he's going to give us the do, which helps us to live to stay away from the don't. 
plot, but rather thanksgiving. So live your life in thanksgiving, and then you won't live all these other things that he talked about. Be thankful, and he says, for this, you can be sure. No immoral, impure, greedy person, such as such a person, is an idolater. And they have, has inherited in the kingdom of Christ of God. They have no inheritance, sorry, in the kingdom of God. Now he continues with a, a don't. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So now, how do we combat where we don't do the don'ts? He's going to give us a plus again. He's going to give us the do. Focus on the do's, folks. It'll transform your life. Live, so this is something we do. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. You see, if you don't know what pleases the Lord, how are you ever going to please the Lord? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. There's the don't. Here's the do. But rather expose them. Now here's another do. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but wise. Here's another do. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. So don't focus on the evil. Focus on the opportunity. Therefore do not be foolish. Now here's the do, but understand what the Lord's will is. You see, the do's are the things we're seeking. They're the things that correct the don'ts. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will convict you and you won't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You see, folks, how Paul is weaving us through this. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And here's a do. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we focus on the do's, we posture ourselves in such a way that the don'ts are a non-issue. This is the kind of pure devotion that Paul has in mind in Ephesians and for the vision of the New Testament church. He wants the churches to be holy. And he knows that God's work in them will lead them away from sin and toward the greatest virtues of love, justice, peace, compassion, and forgiveness. You see, if you begin to live those virtues that Paul talks about, they combat the don'ts. The don'ts are no longer a problem in your life. Living the dues produce a devotion to God that allows the Spirit to work in you. Now, the third element that Paul gives us about holiness, I actually think is the key to it all. The church has to learn to live a life that is devoted to God. Not a life that's devoted to ourselves, not a life that's devoted to the things that we want, not a life that's devoted to, to seeking power and authority and all the things that corrupt us in this world, but a life that is devoted to God. Essentially, what we need to do as the church is we need to learn to do life in God's 
presence, not just part of life, not just during prayer, not just during church time, but to do all of life in God's presence, to live with him, to seek him, to be in him, unto him always. Living life in God's presence means that we learn to do everything for God and everything with God. All things, our work and our play must all be done in the reality of God's salvation, God working in us and through us. This this is an amazing call and it's an amazing thing when a church lives this way. Living life in God's presence Folks, it's all about growing closer to him so that we know his nature. I'm never going to become like somebody if I don't actually get to know what they're like. And Jesus Christ was the only human person to ever live sinless. He's the one who is holy. And so if we seek holiness, we have to learn to be like him. And so the New Testament's vision for the church is for the church to be Jesus to the world. That is holiness. You have to know God's nature and know what holy is. So our holiness Yes, it's a legal status that God did for us on the cross. We're seen as holy, even though our lives might not actually be that holy. Jesus Christ made us holy, and the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to live our lives in holiness. But our lives can only be holy when we learn to live life with God when we learn to do what Isaiah said last week is right, when we recognize our need for the Father. That's the call that Paul gives to the church, a call of holiness, a call of righteousness, a call to be Jesus to the world. And the only way we're going to do that is to learn and know who Jesus is by walking our lives devoted to him. So are you ready, church, to devote your whole self to him, to set aside your old self and to put on the new? Or are you stuck battling with the old? It's my prayer this morning that you would hear this call that Paul gives, a call to holiness and righteousness, because it's an important piece of who the church needs to be in a broken world. We need to show the world the holiness of Jesus Christ by offering peace, showing others hope, by standing with those who are marginalized, by loving our neighbor more than ourselves. That's the New Testament call to be like Jesus. We worship a God who is holy. And as followers of Jesus, the only real way that we can grow in holiness is by learning to live in God's presence and by opening ourselves up to the things that he wants to do in us and through us. 
God is always with us every minute of every day, but often we're so distracted and caught up with the details of our lives that we aren't paying attention to what he's doing, to how he's moving in us and through us and all around us. So as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to invite you to take a moment to center yourself in God's presence. To remind yourself that right now, at this very moment, you are fully surrounded in the presence of God. He's holy. He's faithful. He loves you. And he wants the best for you. And now take a couple of moments to reflect back over the last week and to ask God to show you the ways that he's been moving in your life. Over the course of the last week, what gifts has God given you? What difficult situations has he helped you through? What opportunities has he opened up for you? Take some time to thank him for the ways that he's been present and active, even when you weren't even aware of it. And lastly, take a moment to ask God what he's calling you to next. Pastor Jeff reminded us that holiness isn't just about staying away from sin. It's about following Jesus and representing his peace and his love and his kingdom in our world. Maybe today God's just calling you to get some rest. Maybe today there's somebody that he is calling you to reach out to. What is God calling you to next? What's he calling you to do today? As you continue with the rest of your day and your week, know that your heavenly father who is perfectly holy is with you. We're gonna close this morning with Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. Let's pray this prayer together for our community. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen.